And today, I'm going to continue with the story of Deuteronomy. We've been going through the series of Deuteronomy and the study of Deuteronomy. This book itself was written by Moses. And Deuteronomy is one of the five books that was written by Moses. And the books that were, and they were the first five. The first five were Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the last one being there is Deuteronomy. What is Deuteronomy? It's Deut. And Deut, a lot of people think, is the second law, meaning it's talking about the second law. But can I say that actually the proper translation of Deut is the repeated law. Why is it a repeated law? Why is this considered Deuteronomy a repeated law? It's because that book, it was still written by Moses, but it was, it was the review of the first four books that was written. And in that book, it's Moses given a deeper understanding, more expansion, more illustrations on what those first four books were supposed to be. And this particular book, the fifth book, was not written for the whole of the Israelites that came out of Egypt. It's written for the next generation. It's written for the Joshua generation. It's written right at the end of the life of Moses after the 40 years. But before Moses took them out of Egypt, before Moses rescued them from Egyptian slavery, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 430 years. And the reason why they were in Egypt was because of Joseph. Joseph was the one who could interpret dreams. And 430 years prior, he, managed, he, he was able to interpret the dream that Pharaoh had and rescued and saved the Egyptians from seven years of famine. And in fact, it, they became so powerful as a nation. But now, fast forwarding to 430 years later, the Israelites were no longer honoured as one of themselves because Pharaoh, at the time of Joseph, he said, you are welcome in my land and this land is as much as your land and it is my land. He welcomed all the Israelites. But now, at the time of Moses, they were considered as slaves. They were considered as second-class citizens. And they were not, they were not even just second-class citizens. They were low-class. They were not worth anything to them. The Egyptians were the one who should, they felt like was, should be in that land. And in that moment, the Israelites cried out to God. In fact, I'm going to rephrase that. It doesn't say they cried out to God. It just said they cried out. I don't know whether they cried out to God or not, but I would suggest that because it's been 430 years, some of them were just crying out, crying out, why are they slaves in this land? And God heard their cries. God wanted to rescue them. God wanted to take them out of Egypt. And God, in doing so, he chose a person. His name was Moses. He chose Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh. He, he was, Moses was God's mouthpiece. And if we look at Exodus 9.1, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord the God of the Hebrews say, which is the Israelites, let my people go. God used Moses to bring 10 plagues to Egypt. God used Moses to, and the final plague that he brought, that Moses brought, was the death of the firstborn. And even the Pharaoh's firstborn was not spared. At first, Pharaoh relented to let the Israelites go. But on that final plague, he was so distorted, so affected. He said, go away from my place. Take the Israelites and all those people and leave. In his grief, he said that and he relented. Moses then, Moses, let's have the word Moses there. I want you to know how powerful, how important Moses was. Moses took them out of Egypt. Moses parted the Red Sea. And 50 days later, Moses was with them at the foot of Mount Sinai, at that place. And in that place, God's presence was there because it's not like today. At that time, there was a thick cloud surrounding the mountain and there was thunder and lightning that was upon that mountain. And in that space, in that 
particular moment, 50 days after they had been taken out of Egypt, Moses went up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He was there to meet with God. And it was there where he got the revelation of the four books of the Bible. It was there where he got the 10 commandments. It was there where God gave him the laws, the statutes, the way that they should be. And when Moses came down, what was the Israelites doing before that? Were they waiting on Moses for those 40 days? See, Moses has gone up. No, during that time, they melted all the gold that they got from Egypt and they built a golden calf. And when Moses came down and saw this, the first thing he did was he had the burning anger inside of him and he broke the Ten Commandments. He was so angry with them. But why did the Israelites do that? What was the reason for them doing so? Why could they not wait for Moses to come down after 40 days? 40 days is not a long time. It's because... They were in Egypt for 430 years. The Israelites were there for more than 10 generations in that place. All they knew was the ways of the Egyptians. All they knew was the Egyptian Pharaoh, the Egyptian laws, the Egyptian gods, the Egyptian lifestyle. That's all they knew for those 430 years. They lost their roots as the Israelites. There was too much of the Egyptian culture inside of them. I like to always say, God took them out of Egypt, but could not take Egypt out of them. They were still full of the Egyptian culture. For me, I've stayed in, like I told you, I stayed in Malaysia for more than than a decade, more than 10 years. And sometimes in my sentences, I now add Allah. For those who don't know, I'm, Born in Hong Kong, I grew up in London. And so I have this Rajat kind of accent. Like it's all over the place. So for those who are guessing, I don't want to torment you any longer. And you know that I was born in Hong Kong, raised in London and been in Malaysia and, and, and been in SIB for, for over a decade. And I add last. And also it was in Malaysia that I developed a love for durian. Every time I, my mom would buy durian, yeah, I've got some durian fans here. Every time my mom in London, and by the way, London has durian, but they get imported, probably not the highest quality type. And every time my mom buys durian, I get so upset with her because the whole place are smelling of durian. But it was here in Malaysia that I, that I developed a love. In fact, I love durian more than my wife. In fact, when it's durian season, I'm the one who's bugging her. Let's go to SS2. Let's get some durian. Let's eat until we are satisfied. One thing that happened is that I became more Malaysian. I started to dress. In fact, I'm with um, some people who, who, who dress quite cool and then we, we tend to dress the same way. One word I want to say, why we do that is because of culture. It's culture. What is culture? Culture is traditions, customs, and social behavior of a specific group of people. Social because the whole group behaves in a similar way. And you know they're from that group. And a lot of the time, culture comes from our background. A lot of times, it's because of the place we are raised and born. It's where our citizenship is. It's also because of our family background, our financial background, our social background. Those will affect the culture that we have. And in fact, Different groups, different organizations will have different cultures. Different countries will have different cultures. Different governments will have different cultures. Different companies, different university schools will have different cultures. Even family units, even your family home will have a different culture to another family. And it's marked that particular group of people. Going back to the story of the Egyptian, the Egyptian culture was too influential. And the Egyptian culture is totally different from the Israelite culture, totally different from the God's culture. And 
God needed to take them in the wilderness for how long? For 40 years to get Egypt out of them. It took a whole passing of a whole generation before they were even ready to go into the promised land. God needed to remove the Egyptian culture. And that is where we come to this book, Deuteronomy. It was written by Moses, I said, on his 40th year. If we go into that scripture, Deuteronomy 1.3, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was the intro of the whole book of Deuteronomy. And it gives us the purpose for this book. It was for the Joshua generation, for the next generation to go into the promised land. God's culture is opposite to the world's culture. It's two kingdoms that clash. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God is, the, is not the same as the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of light is not the same as the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of heaven is not the same as the kingdom of this earth. From looking at this story, we can learn how God took out the Egyptian culture from the Israelites. Three things had to happen for them to change their culture. The first was change of environment. God brought them out of Egypt. God took them out of the Egyptian environment. God removed Egypt and set them apart, rescued them, took them out. God didn't want the Egyptian culture to influence them any longer. And so he had to take them out, even if it meant going into the wilderness. He had to take them out. And even for us, as believers, I want to tell you a promise that God has given. He has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Amen. Amen. Let's go into that scripture. 1 Peter 2.9 He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God wants to position us in the right environment. He wants to take us out of the environment of darkness and into his beautiful light. And he wants us, why to do that? Why does he want to do that? Because he wants us to know him. And sometimes when God takes you out of that environment, sometimes he may even take certain people out of your life as well. People who hinder you from knowing God more, people who hinder you from reaching your purpose and your destiny. Sometimes God will take those people out of your life. It may be painful, it may be hard, but God's doing that because He wants you to be in the right environment. The right environment to what? To grow. Actually, I'm gonna change that again. It's not to grow because you can even grow in evil. You can grow in good and you can grow in evil. It's like the saying, people say practice makes perfect. It's not true. Practice makes permanent. Whatever you practice is what becomes permanent. What is it the things that you are practicing? What is the things that you are doing? That is what's gonna be permanent. And God wants us to come into His marvelous light. How amazing is that? So that we grow in light. Plants grow better in light. We grow better in the presence of light, Amen. of God himself. Come on. He is the one. So first is we need to change our environment. The second is we need to change our mindset. The Israelites, when they left Egypt, I said, God took them out of Egypt, but couldn't take Egypt out of them. This people was no longer slaves. Now they were considered a nation. They belonged to God. But the Israelites were still behaving like they were slaves in Egypt. They're still thinking about the times they were in Egypt. Their minds were not renewed. Every time there was a problem in the wilderness, what was the first thing they did? They didn't come together and say, yes, we can deal with this. We can conquer it together. First thing they did, they used his finger, Moses! It's all your fault. It's your fault. Let's go into that. I'm not making this up. In Exodus 14, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone 
Let us serve the Egyptians. Let us be slaves in Egypt. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. The Israelites, all they could do was complain, complain and complain. They had not changed their mind. They have not decided who they were. Even though there's so many miracles, signs and wonders, seeing God appointing Moses and using Moses, but they could not see it. And in Romans 12 too, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another word for mind is mindset. So we need to learn to change our mind. The Israelites needed to change their mind from being a slave to a son or a daughter of God. They needed to learn to be people who were kingdom carriers and not the world carriers, Egypt carriers. They needed to change their mind and do not conform to the pattern. So they are, they are something that happens when we stop conforming to the pattern and we renew our mind, transformation happens. We are changed from one form to another. That's why we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. A journey that should have took 11 days took them 40 years because it took that long for their minds of the Israelites to change. In, the, in that wilderness, it wasn't in vain. 40 years, you feel like they lost a lot of time. But it was in those 40 years that they learned who God was. It was in those 40 years that they learned how God provided for them. Manna from heaven, quail, rock from, water from the rock, how God provided. It was in those 40 years that they learned how God protected them. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. It was in those 40 years that they learned who to trust, what to trust, what not to trust. Can I say, not all of them needed 40 years. It's the same for us. How much we start to move in the kingdom of light is very much dependent on us, dependent on how fast we can change our mind, how fast our mindset can be changed to, be, to know that we are children of God and that we are His people. And in fact, another word for change of mind is the word repentance. That's why when we repent and turn from our ways, we are now saved. Because once you have changed your mind, not just to go 180 degree, but to turn away from the things of Egypt and to turn towards God, to Jesus, following Jesus. That is what repentance is. And that is what is change of mind. So the second thing is you need to change your mind. Change mindsets. And the third one is change behavior. Can I ask, how do you respond to testing times? Do you trust God or are you trusting yourself? Do you surrender the situation to God or are you anxious, worried and fearful? That is behavior. Do we take things into our own hands or we give it to God? Not surrendering to the situation, but surrendering to the person who can rescue us, the person who can set us free. And there must be a change of mind. In James 2.17, it says, in the same way, faith, which is the mindset by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, behavior, it's dead. Meaning that it wasn't faith in the first place. Can I ask you, have you ever prepared for a test, but you never took the exam? What's the point? You, you, you prepare for the test, but never go into the exam hall. You will never know whether you will pass or fail that test. It's only when you are tested that you know whether you can pass or not. And in the same way, Jesus was tested for three days and three nights. The Israelites were in the wilderness tested for 40 years. And in those times, they had the right behavior. In fact, they were able to say the right thing. Jesus, every time Satan said to him, if you are the son of God, can I tell you, Sometimes the enemy will try to bring doubt into your heart, bring doubt into your mind. Because before he was tempted in the desert, Jesus, when he was baptized, God in a voice said, you are my son whom I am well pleased. But yet, the next thing happened was that he was tempted by the enemy. 
Right now, I'm going to nullify any works of the enemy that has taken away the promises and the destiny and the plan that God has for each and every one of you. They will not be taken by the enemy. And we are going to be able to go into this test and be able to speak the Word of God because free temptations, Jesus said three times, it is written. It is written. It is written. You need to know the Word then you will be able to pass the test. You need to know His Word. That's why we encourage people to read the Word. It's not enough to just hear it on Sunday or Saturday service like today. You need to know the Word for yourself. Let the Word consume you. Let it saturate you because it is then that you are preparing for your test. I always like to consider our journey in life like a computer game. You see, Normal computer games, you only have a limited number of lives. But Jesus, He has given you life unlimited. He has given you abundant life. Has given you the ability to, even if you fail, even if you sin, even if you do the things that were not purpose and planned for you, He will say, because of my blood, because of what I did on the cross, you are still righteous. You are still holy. You have still got a destiny and a plan that I have given you. Let me explain why I say this. It's not so that you can sin. God, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that when you sin, you don't get punished for your sin. Jesus died on the cross so that you can win. Jesus died on the cross so you can win. Let me go back to the computer game. The computer game, your aim of playing a computer game is not so that, see who can die the most. How many of you can die the most? You are the winner. No, the purpose of playing a computer game is to complete the game, is to conquer the game, is to overcome the game, is to overcome whatever obstacles the game was giving you in the same way. That is why Jesus died on the cross, so that we can complete this game. It's called life. And he wants you to complete this game. Why? Because he said you are more than a conqueror. You belong to the winning team. And no more can the darkness, sin and shame overcome you. You have abundant life. So that you will one day complete the game and you're before God. And he will say, good and faithful servant. That is what it's about. In Revelations 12, 11, they overcame him, who is him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Two things are needed. First is the blood of the lamb. That was done 2,000 years ago by Jesus. We just celebrated Easter and, and Passover, the, the time when he, he died on the cross. I'm so glad we did Holy Communion because it was on the day of Passover that he, he had his last supper. It's on the day of Passover that he was arrested and he died on the cross for your sins and mine. The blood of the lamb has cleansed away and washed away the sins of the world. Second thing, the word of their testimony. I need to see whether it's are or they. What does their testimony mean? It means your testimony. It means every single one of us should have a testimony. Every single one of us should have taken the test and passed particular tests. And now we have a testimony to tell. Yes. That is how we overcome the works of the enemy. By telling the enemy and even the, the environment who we are in Christ. Just like Jesus said, it is written. We are gonna say that every time the enemy tells you you are a loser, you have no future. You're gonna say, it is written. God says, I have a plan and a future for you. Every time when someone says, when you hear the voice in your head that says, this financial burden is gonna destroy me, you're not gonna believe that. You're gonna say, God is my provider. You're gonna believe that. And even if you don't see him working, and even if you may be suffering from sicknesses, 
You're going to say to the enemy, it is written, God is my healer. You're going to believe it. You're going to proclaim it until it comes to pass. Until it comes. God places victories in your reach, not in your hands. Why? He gives you it. It's like a present. God gives you a present. Someone gives you a present. You got a choice. Reject it or accept it. It's up to you. Do you want this present, the presence of God in your life? You need to reach out and take. It belongs to you. No one can give it to you. Just like riding a bicycle. A parent cannot ride the bicycle on behalf of their children. The child needs to learn how to ride the bike. The child needs to fall down. The child needs to understand how the bike works. In the same way, you need to understand how God works in your life. You need to start riding this bicycle. You need to start going through these storms, these problems, these situations, trusting God, and you will see His deliverance. You will be able to understand how to trust this God. That is what it's about. God wants to rescue you. He doesn't want you to be a slave to sin and shame. He wants you to be free. When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Because of time. Okay. So what does this culture of God look like? I see some people laughing because, yeah, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to try and end on time. What does this culture of God look like? Before I go there, let me just summarize. So the three things needed to change culture, change your environment, change your mindset, and change your behavior. How do you respond? And oftentimes, it's response with the word, just like Jesus did. You need to respond because your tongue is a weapon against the enemy. You need to use it. That's why when we worship God, He inhabits the praises of his people. That is why. So what does the culture of God look like? It's all found here in his word. And we have something that the Israelites doesn't. It's called the New Testament. It's the AD after Christ, after Jesus has come, died on the cross. And Jesus, you know, he gave us a new command a command that was not given to the Israelites, a command that supersedes the old. We are studying in the book of Deuteronomy and in there, there is a portion of scripture called the Shema. It's the Jews anchor their whole faith based on this scripture. Even Jesus quoted this scripture to a teacher of the law or someone who was testing Jesus and he quoted this particular Shema. Let's go there. Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. Hear, O Israel, which is Shema in, in, um, in Hebrew. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love, I put in brackets, the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength. I want to let you know that it's very important we understand what this word love means. It's the human type of love. It's the love like a brotherly love, family love, filial love. It's the love of friendship. It's a human ability type of love. And in, and in Leviticus, which is also the Old Testament, one of the five books, <clears throat> you shall love, same love, human love, your neighbor as yourself. I want you to remember that it's a human love because it will be a bit difficult for them to be able to understand how to love beyond loving themselves. That is their benchmark, how to love. is to know how they love themselves. It's how they are supposed to love their neighbours. But Jesus, he gave us a new command in John 13, 34. And it's a very powerful command. A new command. Let me tell you, it's not a repeated law, not like Deuteronomy. It is not a regurgitating of the Old Testament law, but it's a new command. 
love, and this love is agape, unconditional, unconditional love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This love is a supernatural love. This love, the source is not from this world. It's from heaven, from God himself. God is love, and he is the agape love. And how do we know God's love? How do we be able to understand his love? We need to change our culture. We need to come out of Egypt, change our environment, change our mindset, change our behavior. Then we will know his love. Until we know God's love, we can't love others. Let me go to that scripture in 1 John 4, 19. We love, same Agape, because he first loved us. And that new commandment, it says that love one another. Go back to the other, the other one. Love one another as I have loved you. There is an order. The order is knowing God's love. Until you know God's love, you cannot love people like God loves people. Until you start to understand his love, for who? For you. Until you understand and are so mesmerized, so amazed, so in awe of His love, you are unable to love others the way He wants you to love. But it's a command. What is a command? A command needs you to choose to do it. You need to want to do it. And this law, it's not the same as Shema. It's not the, it supersedes it. I would suggest that it supersedes the Shema law, where it's love one another as yourself. Here it says, love one another as God loves you. You love one another. I can love because God loves me. That is my starting point. It has superseded. Doesn't mean it has gotten rid of the old. When a law is superseded, the law of the superseded law still exists, but it's superseded. It takes it beyond. It takes it further. Just like the Beatitudes and even the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if someone takes your tunic, you're supposed to give them everything. If they slap you, you're supposed to turn the other cheek instead of eye for an eye. It doesn't mean eye for an eye doesn't exist. That law still is there, but it's a greater law. It's a new command. And you can only be able to fulfill this commandment if you understand His love, His love for you. It starts with you. Don't be so sacrificial and say, oh, I need to love other people. No! Say, God, love me first. Why should other people have God's love and I don't have God's love? God, love me. I need your love. You are love, so I'm gonna reach out my hand and take your love. And then your behavior will change. Can I suggest that your behavior changes because you know his love, not because how much you love him. Let me explain to you the story of Peter and John, the difference between the two. Peter, he would confess and even proclaim his undying love for Jesus. He even said, even if everyone abandons you, I will not. I will follow you until you die. I will die with you. You know why he said that? He thought that was what Jesus wanted to hear. Because that's the Shema. That is the essence of Shema. Love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your understanding, with all your strength. So he is taking it from that point of view. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. But what happened? He denied Jesus three times. But John, on the other hand, he never boasted about his love for God. He boasted about God's love for him. If you go into John, the gospel, he will always address himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Until you understand God's love, you cannot behave the way God wants you to behave. You cannot then fulfill the new command, which is to love one another. In the Shema, 
It's conditional. You, you obey God, you are blessed. You disobey God, you are cursed. But this new command is unconditional. He is like a father. Even if you fail, he is looking to see when you're coming back. The prodigal son, come back home. Come back. Come back to God. It's never too late. It was never too late for Peter. It's never too late for you. You still have many lives left. I mean the computer game life. You have abundant life God has given you. If you still have breath, you still have plan. You still have a purpose from God. And it's still there. Jesus came to rescue us. Moses rescued the Israelites. Jesus came to do what? Change our mind. Make us disciples. That's why Jesus was the greatest rabbi, which is another word, his teacher. Jesus came to change our behavior. How? By demonstrating the kingdom. He illustrated it by being the word becoming flesh. He allowed this word to become alive in him. That is what we need to do now. He said, whatever he did, you will do more. We are to represent him now. Jesus is in the heavenly places. We represent him. We are Christians. And we are supposed to take this word, chew on the word, and let the word become flesh inside of us. That is when we have a change of environment, of mindset, and of behavior. And that is where the testimony will have power. We all have a testimony. God's love is unconditional. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Not after we stopped sinning. While we were still sinners. Jesus has changed the environment. He said, let, your king, let the kingdom of heaven be on earth. Let your will be done in, on earth as it is where? In heaven. He has changed the environment. Now we are in an environment. You know what this place is? I'm going to declare this place is the environment of light, an environment of love, an environment of life, an environment of God, environment of love. You know why? Love is God. Love is inside of us. But love is an environment. That's why it says, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is His love for you? Because love is an environment. And today, for those of you who have forgotten how much God loves you, it's time to come back to the Father. Time to come back to understand His love for you. Because His love is unmeasurable. It's unconditional. And it can be yours in an instant. He loves us all. Before I go to the next part, I want to give those uh, that have not received Jesus, and can I have the worship team up? For those who have not received Jesus, and you want to today repent, meaning change your mind and believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, I want to give you this opportunity to do so. Because I can tell you, once you do that, your life is going to be changed. You're going to start moving in His marvelous light. Why would you want to stay in darkness? This world is full of evil, full of greed, manipulation, gossip, selfishness. But God has taken you out of there. So if that is you and you want to receive Christ for the first time and call Him Lord and Savior, can I have you to put your hand to your heart and repeat these after me? Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I believe you came to earth and died on the cross and rose again on the third day and given me eternal life. I repent and turn away from my sinful ways and trust in you. If you have said that, I want to congratulate you. Now you have the kingdom of light. God has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And the next bit, now that you have called Jesus Lord and Savior, let us all repeat the next bit. Because remember, we need to declare into the atmosphere who we are. 
And a commandment is not based on feeling. It's not based on how you feel that day. It's not based on what you have done. A commandment is an order to be followed. And when you follow it, that's the beauty of God. He loves you. He wants to give you the greatest blessing in the whole entire. In fact, the world cannot give. And we're going to repeat these together as church over our lives. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know how the MCO has affected you. I don't know how your life has been, but I know one thing. If you call on the name of Jesus, He will come to your rescue. Let us just repeat these. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, let us all as a church repeat these together. One, two, three. May the kingdom culture of God surround me. Be with me in me and all around me. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. May I know your love, be filled with your love and let your love overflow out of me. I am a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. May I declare your praises, taken out of darkness into your marvelous, wonderful light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God all the glory. He deserves it. And when we clap, it's worship. That's why the world knows this. When someone does something, a performance that's, that they like, they clap. But when we clap, we are worshipping the God who has given us all. And in Peter, I talked about chosen people. In Peter 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are chosen people, a royal peace of the holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You are a chosen people. We, the church, are a chosen people. We are to go and do what? Make disciples. You know, the Israelites, they were supposed to enter the promised land, not to just possess the promised land. They were supposed to be the model nation to show all the other nations why having God as your God means you will be blessed. They were the nation that was supposed to have so much favour, so much blessing, so much of God's presence that all the other nations will see and know that God is with them. In the same way, <clears throat> you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are now supposed to go and show that to the world. The culture that's inside of us, the kingdom culture of light, of love, of life needs to be greater than the culture that's out there. God will only remove people that you will be influenced by. But it's time for us to influence the world. It's time for us to be world changers. It's time for us to be light and soak to this world. Let us just rise. Let us just worship God. And I know that dreams and visions will come back into your hearts. Some of you, you have been discouraged. <clears throat> you have gone through a time where you lost courage. I want to declare, just like what God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. That is who you are. You are a mighty warrior. So right now, let us just worship God. And I want to open the altar for those who, want, who feel like you need to have God's love. You want more of it. Remember, God doesn't place it in your hands. God gives it to you. But you need to reach out and receive it. I'm going to open the altar if anyone want to receive more of God's love. We have leaders and pastors who are here to pray for you. We are in this together. <clears throat> the Israelites came out of Egypt. It wasn't just a hundred or a thousand. It was about three million of them came out together. We are in this together. We are family. We are the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood. And tomorrow, we'll be talking more about kingdom community. So do come if you, yeah, do come. Because Pastor Tabby will be speaking on that. But for today, if you want to receive more of God's love, can I ask you to come to the front and receive it? We are just 
conduits. We are just people used by God to pray for you and see God rescue you out of darkness into His marvellous light. So if that is you and you want to receive God's love, you feel like during this time, you need more of His love. You need to remember His love. Can I invite you to come to the front? And we're going to worship God. Let's worship God. Spirit, touch your church. Stir the hearts of men. Revive us, Lord, with your passion. Jesus, after he died on the cross, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus said, stay and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is in knowing the Holy Spirit that you will know God's love. Right now, I want to open this altar for those to come up. If you want to receive God's love, one. Secondly, if you want to receive more of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I ask you to come up. I invite you to come up. And those who receive Christ today, come to my this side and someone will tell you more about the beautiful decision you've made. But if you want to receive a greater measure of His anointing, the Holy Spirit, can I invite you to come down? Don't be shy. Come down. Because this is your moment. Let these moments count. You're in church because you want to engage with the presence of God. Where the presence of the God is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And I believe that freedom, not just in your circumstances and situation, not just in your heart, but freedom for sicknesses and diseases. By His stripes we are healed. The body of Christ has set us free. So right now, if there's anyone, because I'm not here so often, if anyone needs healing, I have seen so many testimonies of healing, so many power of healing. And I believe that God wants to heal some of you here. If you want to receive healing, just stretch out your hands. And as a surrender that you want to receive healing from God Himself, so right now, God, you see all those hands that I've lifted. Can I have you put it on the place, on the path that you need healing for, if you can? For those that need your healing touch, Holy Spirit, take over. I declare miracles will happen in their lives. I declare as they trust in you, as they surrender to you, and walk out of the boat of comfort, that you will give them the walking on water moment. You will allow them to really move into places they have never been. So right now, I declare healing over those people right now. I thank you, Lord, that you are a healer. I thank you, Lord, that it is you, the finished work of Jesus, that we 
can be healed. So right now, let your healing touch come upon them. Release your healing right now. Release your healing right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if you are healed, do let us know. Do connect with the church and let us know. God is here. And it's such a privilege to be able to do church with you guys. To have community. To be together. And I know that you will not be the same again. When you leave this place, you are going to understand you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's chosen and special possession. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God all the glory. For those who are online and need prayer, do the room is open now and you just have to go into the link, scan the QR code that will be shown on the screen. Some of you, if you want prayer still, we are here for you. I can tell you, being one of the pastors of SIBKL, we care. We are so concerned in how you guys are doing. We want to pray with you and see you journey with victory. So if you still need prayer, you can come to the front and receive prayer from us. Thank you, Lord, that you, your face shines upon us and that you give us your shalom. Allow us to walk in your ways, your shalom, your peace in the coming week and in the coming days so that we will be more than conquerors and have the victory. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Amen. Let's give God all the glory.